This morning we're going to be talking about three words. We're going to be talking about the word guilt. We're going to be talking about the word grace. And we're going to be talking about the word gratitude. These three words, though they may not be mentioned specifically in the text, shine forth in the passage that Mike just read for us from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And I invite you this morning to open up your Bibles, and if you'd like, maybe to underline some things in this passage, or maybe make some little notes in your Bible. Not a thing wrong with writing in your Bible. I do it all the time. You all see my Bible has got writing all through it. But in this particular verse, of these verses, um, we find some very personal feelings that the Apostle Paul wrote. In fact, there are some scholars who think that this is the most personal passage that we have from the Apostle Paul. He is bearing his soul here. He is bearing his heart. And when someone is willing to really just open themselves up and be very personal and bear their souls, it is something worth paying attention to. In this passage, Paul's going to talk about guilt, great guilt. And he's going to talk about grace, great grace. And he's going to talk about gratitude, great gratitude. And I think that if we can look at things the way that Paul looks at them in this passage, it would open up our hearts and open up a door for us to be better Christians as we live the Christian life. As I said, I hope you'll turn to this passage, though we'll be uh, showing the passages on, on the screen also to help make the points that need to be made. But first of all, this morning, we want to talk about guilt. We want to talk about guilt. And there's a couple passages in this, this section of Scripture that talk about guilt. Here's the very first one. Paul says, talking about himself, he says, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and the King James Version has injurious. I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think about these are words that are coming out of the Apostle Paul's mouth. A man who is describing himself. A man who is revealing to each and every one of us his past of what he was like before he was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice he refers to himself as a blasphemer. That's a word we don't use very often anymore. Um, but to blaspheme means to make light of, to make common and ordinary something that should be religious or holy. People may not realize this, but when they use profanity, they are blaspheming God. They are bringing God down to a level here on earth that he should not be at. God's name should be held in reverence. God's name was so important that the Jews would not even write it out, his official name of Yahweh. But yet some people here on the earth think they can just take his name in vain and somehow another God's going to be pleased with this. Paul didn't say that he's using profanity here though. He's saying he is blaspheming God any time that he went around telling people that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God. There was a time in Paul's life that he thought that Jesus Christ was a fraud. He thought Jesus Christ was a fake. He thought Jesus Christ was a liar. He did not believe that he was the Son of God. 
He doubted the prophecies of God concerning the Messiah. He doubted the teachings that Jesus Christ preached. He doubted, perhaps, even that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. All of he thought about him was that he was a criminal that deserved to die on the cross and therefore he was a worthless man because as the Old Testament scriptures say, cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. He thought Jesus Christ was a fraud. He blasphemed his name constantly. But the text also says that because of the fact that he believed that Jesus Christ was a fraud, that he was someone that was a false teacher, what did he spend his life doing? It says that he was a persecutor. In other words, the Apostle Paul was someone that thought about many, many times how he used to treat Christians. It's interesting, not only in this passage, but so many other passages uh, in the Bible is Paul's action as a persecutor brought out. Paul himself makes mention in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 13 that he made waste of the church. In other words, Paul tried to make it his mission to destroy the church. He wanted to wipe out the church on the face of the earth. We've been studying the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights and we brought out the point that The book of Revelation is a book of hope to Christians who are being persecuted under the worst time in history as far as persecution was. But we need to understand that before there was an emperor by the name of Domitian or an emperor by the name of Nero or any of those others who persecuted the church, there was a Jewish man by the name of Saul who did everything he could to destroy the church. In fact, we go on and read in our Bibles how in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58 and Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, there is described how that Paul was consenting to the very first death of a Christian. A man by the name of Stephen, the very first Christian martyr. And there are some who believe because of the composition of the way the scriptures are worded that he was the one in charge of this. He is the one that approved it. He was the one that decided that this man needed to die. Why did he need to die? Because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was a Christian. He was someone who believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. But then also in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, we are told that Paul made havoc of the church. In other words, he tried to disrupt it, to make it disorganized, trying to to make it something that couldn't exist because of his persecution. The text also talks about how that he put men and women in prison. Here was a man who walked around arresting people for being a Christian. And then we have the passage in in, uh, Acts chapter 9 and verse 1, how that he was someone who, well, the text says, breathed out slaughterings. I want you to think about that for a moment. We know what the word slaughter means. It means to kill something in an awful way. That's Paul describing, or Paul being described, who was then called Saul, and what he was doing to the church. The implication, I believe, is that Paul went around, and if he had the opportunity to kill a Christian, he killed a Christian. In fact, what does it say next in the text? It says that he was injurious. 
King James uses that word there. Uh, the idea is behind it, and the other translations maybe carry this out just a little bit better, but the idea behind this is a fact that Paul was a bully. Paul was not nice about what he was doing. He was not nice in the way that he treated Christians. Not only was he just arresting them for the point for the fact that they were Christians, but during the arrest, you talk about your pre, uh, police brutality. He would be someone who would harm them and hurt them and, and be injurious to them simply because they were a Christian. Now let that sink in just for a moment how Paul describes himself. He is someone that is a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. He was not a very nice person. He was someone that we would want nothing to do with today, especially those of us who were Christians, if we knew him during this time in his life. But there's another verse that's brought out in the text where he kind of sums it all up and brings it all home. When he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now notice what he's saying here. He says, first of all, that this is a faithful saying. It's interesting that this is the first time of five times where Paul is going to use this particular phraseology. Three times in the book of 1 Timothy, one time in the book of 2 Timothy, and one time in the book of Titus, he begins the statement by saying, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation." In other words, when he says this is a faithful saying, this is something that should be well known and something that everybody should accept as being the truth. This is something you can take to the bank. There is no doubt about this. There's no need to argue this. This is something that you should receive as being common knowledge and something that is very true. Well, what was one of the things that Paul wanted us to understand? that he wanted us to accept. He wanted us to know that was absolutely the truth. What does he say? He says, of sinners, I am chief. In other words, Saul is saying, or Paul is saying, of all the sinners that have ever lived, of all the sins that have ever been committed, I am the worst sinner, And I am the one who has committed the worst sins. What are you the chief of, Paul? Are you the chief of of preachers? No, I'm the chief of sinners. What are you the chief of, Paul? Are you uh, the chief of Bible knowledge? No, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul, what are you the chief of? Are you the chief of, of being a Christian? No, I'm the chief of sinners. In fact, Paul, throughout his letters, always emphasized the fact that when he thought about what he had done in the past, it caused him great guilt. In fact, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, he calls himself the least of the saints. In other words, not only is he the chief of the sinners, there's his chiefness, but what's his leastness? Of all the saints, of all the Christians, I am the very least of them. In fact, he also adds over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9, 
that he is the least of all the apostles. You know, it's funny, as we think about the apostles of Jesus Christ, and we think about their sermons, and we think about their missionary activities, and we think about their miracles, and we think about everything that they have done, probably the Apostle Paul stands head and shoulders above the rest of them as far as someone we recognize as being that apostle that did so much and, and, and converted so many people, maybe with the Apostle Peter coming in second place, but almost everybody puts Paul up at the top. But Paul says, no, as far as apostles go, because of my past, I am the least of the apostles. You see... The Apostle Paul had great guilt. When he looked back over his life before he was a Christian and thought about the things that he had done, when he thought about how he treated Jesus Christ and how he treated Christians, that was something that was on the back of his mind all the time. He had great guilt. But folks, we need to realize this morning that any kind of guilt that we have because of our sin, past sins should always be great guilt. If we're going to have any guilt of all, as far as our sins are concerned, it needs to be great guilt because we have sinned against a great God. There is no such thing as a little sin because we do not serve a little God. And we need to understand that we, when we sin, regardless of the sin whether it be blaspheming, whether it be persecution, whether it be in, uh, being a bully to someone. And the list could go on from lying to stealing and just keep going on and on and on, regardless of what that sin is. We, like the Apostle Paul, should look back at our lives, and though we might not tell it to anybody, but we might say in our minds, we too are the chief of sinners, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners, and all of us are chief sinners, because any sin is an affront to God, and all of us should carry great guilt. I think it's very important this morning, before we can go any further with any of the other words that we look at, We've got to understand how guilty we are and how great that guilt is because of our sins. The Apostle Paul thought of himself and his past, and he had great guilt. But then we want to spend some time looking at this verse and talk about another word, the word grace. Notice what Paul says also in this passage. He says, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Earlier Paul said, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was injurious. He then said, I am the chief of sinners. But then... He adds this, and the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant. And the Greek there for the word exceeding is the word uh, hooper, H-U-P-E-R. It carries with it an overabundance, a super amount, the largest 
thing that someone can think about when added to another phrase. And he says that God's grace was hooper abundant, super abundant, exceedingly abundant because of the love which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I think we all understand what the word grace means because you've heard people talk about it from this pulpit and in Bible classes and in your own study. But we need to emphasize what Paul is emphasizing in this text here, and that is that even though he was this this thing that he was, the chief of sinners, God's faithfulness and God's love through Jesus Christ, he was able to extend to him and extend to us a free gift. It's absolutely free. Something that we did not deserve, something that we could not earn, something that no matter how hard we tried, no matter how hard we, we pleaded and begged for it and worked for it, we could not receive if it was not for the love of God and His mercy. He is giving us something that we do not deserve. He is giving us something that we cannot earn. This is emphasized by the Apostle Paul because he understood this perhaps more clearly than anybody else, how that he got something that he didn't deserve. And he says such things, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Those like Paul, ourselves included, who are now Christians, we were dead in our sins. We deserve to spend eternity in hell. We were walking on this earth as the walking dead. We were dead men walking, just simply waiting for the punishment to be carried out. But the King James Version uses the word quicken here. But it's the idea that we have been made alive. We have been resurrected from the dead. How did that happen? Because of grace. It's by grace that we are saved. But then he also makes mention in verses 8 and 9 of the same chapter, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. And you add to that what he told Timothy, or Titus, I mean in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Notice that this is mankind's way to be saved now. And it's God that bringeth salvation. It's by the grace of God that we are saved. We need to understand and appreciate the fact that it is by God's grace that any of us are going to be saved. We cannot be a good enough person to be saved. We cannot be a good enough Christian simply to be saved. Instead, it's dependent upon the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Uh, There is a song that we have in our songbook that we sing from sometimes. uh, It's an old song, Rock of Ages. But I don't think we realize sometimes what we're singing when we sing that song, Rock of Ages. Notice what it says in the song. It says, Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look for thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. 
Wash me, Savior, or I die. We need to understand and appreciate the fact that God loved us so much that he extended his love toward us, that he was willing to forgive us even while we were sinners, Romans 5 and verse 8. We need to make sure as we're looking at this first word, guilt, how guilty we are. It's great guilt. But then we need to add to it now this great grace that God has given to us. And we need to think about, first of all, how bad this is over here. The Apostle Paul understood that. But he also understood how great and wonderful this grace is. In fact, notice what he says in another verse in this text. He says, And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, later on he would say, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. What happened? We are redeemed. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. What was the result? We had forgiveness of sins. How did that happen? How could that even work out? Well, it was in accordance with the bounty or the riches of God's grace. God's grace is so wonderful and great. Paul wanted to drill that into our heads. In fact, what does he say? He's telling us it's not by attainment, but it's by atonement. God has given us something that we couldn't attain. Instead, by atonement, he allowed Jesus Christ to die on on the cross. And so in verse 16, the Apostle Paul adds this. He says, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. What are you saying there, Paul? He's saying, look at me. I'm a case study. Look at me. I'm your example of how this works. Look at me. I am the chief of sinners. And if anybody can save a sinner like me, then they can save a sinner like you. Think about that grace and how powerful it is. I want you to understand how this works. He says, I had this happen to me first so it could be a pattern to everybody that's going to come after. That regardless of who you are, you can obtain mercy. Why? Because we have a Christ who shows forth patience and long-suffering so that if we believe on Him and His grace and His mercy, that we can have life everlasting. But as I think about this, Paul also points out something very important about grace. Grace not only gives you pardon, but grace also gives you power. Notice what he said. In verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now here's where he begins this personal reflection about his life. Make sure we don't understand, don't misunderstand what he's saying here. He is thanking Jesus because he has enabled him. He has given him power. How has he given him power? He's given him power in the fact that he was a sinner, 
But now he's been forgiven by the grace of God. In fact, the text goes on and says that he has counted me faithful. In other words, when Jesus Christ looked at Paul, he didn't just see a a forgiven sinner. He saw someone who he now counts as or recognizes as faithful. When Jesus Christ looked at the Apostle Paul, he didn't say, well, your sins have been forgiven. I I want you to go get in that corner over there, and I want you to stay in that corner, and we're going to see how you act from now on. I mean, you were pretty bad in the past. I don't know if you can do any better in the future. You've been forgiven of your sins, but, but you don't do anything. You just try to be as good as you can be. You know, Grace not only pardons, but it gives us power. It gives us the power to start working in the ministry of Jesus Christ, is Paul's point here. We have the freedom now to start working, to start being the kind of person we need to be, but we understand also that we'll need that grace for the rest of our lives. But Paul understood and appreciated the fact that he wasn't just put in a corner, but God put him to work because of the fact of His grace and mercy. It says that He counted me faithful. But then we need to spend some time this morning as we close talking about gratitude. Paul wanted us to understand how great our guilt is. He also wanted us to understand how great God's grace is. You know, sometimes when people talk about grace, especially those of us in the church, If we talk about grace too much, people start to get just a little bit nervous. Why is that? Well, if we talk about grace too much, people are going to think that they have license to do whatever they want to do. They might depend on that grace too much, and they might just use that as as an excuse to live any kind of life they want to live. Well, folks, Paul's going to straighten that out. Once again, let me emphasize that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. We cannot live good enough to be the kind of Christian that we need to be. We are never going to be good enough to be the most faithful Christian we need to be. We're never going to be good enough to even serve in the Lord's church. But yes, it's true that because of God's grace, I can be all kinds of things. We need to make sure we understand and appreciate where Paul is coming from when he says this. We've already mentioned verse 12, but notice what he says. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And in the last verse of this pericope of Scripture, he says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, and invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever." and ever. Amen. In other words, Paul says the proper response to our guilt being forgiven by the grace of God is gratitude. He begins this section of Scripture by showing gratitude. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful and put me into the ministry. And then verse 17, there's almost like a, a, a geyser of gratefulness here. He breaks out in song. It's a doxology. He says, now unto the king, eternal, immortal, 
invisible. The only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul understood that he would never ever be the person that he needed to be. But God's grace was going to take care of that. He knew that his life in the past was a despicable life and that there was no excuse for it. He was a sinner, lost, going to go to hell. But God's grace took care of that. He even knew now as he lived the Christian life and was and doing the things that he was supposed to be doing, he knew, as Isaiah tells us, even when we've done everything that we need to do, uh, it's, our righteousness is like filthy rags as far as God is concerned. But what was his response? When he thought about who he was before, and when he thinks about what God had done for him, his response was gratitude. It was just plain and simple gratitude. That's how God's grace works. Oh, there can be some people who will abuse it. There'll be some people who try to use it for license. But the purpose of great grace is not to promote more sin. The purpose of grace is to promote gratitude. In fact, notice what happens here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Notice what the apostle Paul went through as an apostle. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger in rivers, in dangers from bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in dangers in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and told, and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Now, did the Apostle Paul do that just because he was a glutton for punishment? Why did he put himself through all that? Why did he do the things that he did? It was because of who he was before and because of what God had done through him for his, via his grace. Paul was going to now therefore live a life of gratitude. He was so thankful for everything that God had done for him. He wanted to serve God. Here was a man who lived the Christian life not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of gratitude. So many times people miss the point of Christianity and never experience the peace that passeth understanding, never experience the abundant joy that Jesus talks about because we have forgotten what Christianity is all about. It's not about duty, but it's about gratitude. There are too many Christians, I believe, that look at Christianity and they make up in their mind a list of things that they know that they have to do to get by with the least bit of effort. To simply, just simply do the minimum. 
don't want to go to hell, so I'll make sure I get all the, the proper things put on my list here, but I'm going to do this, and that's all I'm going to do. Don't ask me to do anything anymore than that. I'm just going to do enough to get by. There are Christians in the world today who don't have a giving problem. They have a gratitude problem. If their gratitude was where it was supposed to be, then their giving would be where it's supposed to be. There are Christians today who have an attendance problem. But it's not really an attendance problem. It's an affection problem. What do they really love? Paul wanted us to understand, he mentions in verse 16, that he was a pattern for us now, an example of what we should follow. He wanted us to understand and appreciate the fact that if we'll really think about who we are, really think about what we have done, and really think about how wonderful God's grace is, we will just want to explode with gratitude. We would want to every opportunity to thank God, whether it be in our prayers, whether it be in our singing, whether it be in our giving. We would want to tell God each and every day, man, I thank you so much for what you have done for me. The problem we have oftentimes is the fact that we really don't realize or think about how lost we really were. We think about ourselves being perhaps sinners. We think about ourselves perhaps being people who weren't very good, but we think about ourselves and we think, well, I really wasn't that bad. There's other people who do worse things than me. Paul wanted us to understand as he is an example, when he said he was the chief of sinners, he was including all of us in that. And then when he was talking about how wonderful God's grace is through the faithfulness and love of Jesus Christ, he wanted us to experience that too. Until a person realizes how lost they are, until a person realizes how great God's grace is, they're never going to have the gratitude that the Apostle Paul is talking about, a gratitude that drove him to put up with all these things. Think about everything that he did for the cause of Jesus Christ, triggered because of the gratitude he had for salvation. And then we reflect upon our own lives. And someone may ask us to help in some way, or someone um, may need a prayer, or someone wants you at worship service for, their encourage, for the encouragement that you bring to them. And we say, oh, it's just, it's just a little bit too much to ask. I just want to do the minimum. That's not what Christianity is all about. It's not about doing the minimum. It's not about uh, simply keeping the commandments. It's about our gratitude. That's when real, real Christianity comes into play. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, then you are carrying on your shoulders so much guilt, so many sins. And that guilt and that sinfulness is going to send you to hell. There's just no other way to say it. You're a dead man walking. But... This morning, it doesn't have to be that way. God's grace is so abundant. God's grace is so exceedingly great. It's hooper abundant, super 
abundant. He can save you just like he saved the Apostle Paul. But you've got to respond to that. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, we have the Apostle Paul who is waiting on a preacher to come visit him and tell him what he needs to do to be saved. He saw the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. He realized how wrong he was about Jesus Christ and how he had been blaspheming him. He was now a believer. He was ready to repent. He asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord told him, you go into the city and you'll be told what you need to do. And the Bible describes how that Paul spent several days praying and fasting. And I can imagine how that he... When he was praying and fasting, he was saying, Lord, what can I do? I've got all these sins. I've been so bad. I'm the chief of sinners. What can I do? How can I receive your grace? And a preacher by the name of Ananias comes to the Apostle Paul in Acts 22. and verse 16, he tells him what he needs to do to receive this grace. To have his sins forgiven. To have his sins, as the text says, washed away. He says, and now why tarriest thou, Saul? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In other words, if you want your sins forgiven, the time of praying and fasting is over. It's now time for you to get off off your knees and be baptized and have your sins washed away. If you are carrying that great guilt today and needs God's grace, that's all we're asking of you today. But most of us here are Christians. And this is not just a, sinner, I mean, a sermon for sinners. This is a sermon for past sinners who are now been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And we need to be reminded each and every day of our lives that when it comes to serving God and serving Jesus Christ, it's not something that is hard. It's not something that is duty-bound. It's something that should flow from the heart. Flow from the heart with joy because of everything that God has done for me through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you have a need this morning, won't you come as together we stand and sing?